raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. This is the Wesson Walker Show. And a moral lesson is told at the end of each episode. One notable episode is one called The Price, in which a boy buys a drug called Spin. He was smoking that Spin. It's Wes. Becomes addicted to it and dies of an overdose. We need oh, no. more cartoons like that these days for these badass. And Walker. Will these kids die of drugs? Yes, so they can learn their lesson and know not to do it. If somebody fictional dies, they'll learn not to do it in non-fiction. You know what I'm saying? And for that reason, Marshall Bravestar, Tex-Hex, New Texas is straight. Fire! I had the action figure, Bravestar, but my mom wouldn't let me get Tex-Hex. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Oh, come on, Mom. Why didn't you do that? You said it was too demonic. Well, maybe it's because a kid died of drugs. Vinny, you're right. What you said during the break. That was an odd moment. Very funny moment. I think the listeners like being in on that joke, but still a very odd moment on Wes and Walker. I think it's just because it came from Wes, right? Like if like if I would have went there, probably wouldn't have been surprised because I've said some pretty harsh things off the air. But Wes went to a very demonic place on the air and... <laughs> no, I mean, I still remember sitting there going like, what is, where is he going? Where is he going with this? Yeah. That's so, what I uh, thought too. Yeah. And then Only smoking West, that though. spin is one of the great uh, show sayings we have here. It really is. It, it's one of my favorite sayings. And now anytime anybody talks about smoking, whatever, yep. smoking that spin, that's what we go to. This made up thing that happened in a cartoon that Wes used to watch as a kid. All right. Let's go to the Body Works Plus guest hotline. I was promising you, uh, promising you a former Carolina Panther. We welcome uh, Ben Hartsock now, who not only used to play for the Carolina Panthers as a 10-year NFL vet, but he's also a college football host on Sirius XM Radio, also part of Big Ten Radio. Ben, thanks so much for the time, man. How are you? Absolutely thrilled to be here. It's, uh, it's good memories of my time in Charlotte playing for Carolina. It was the, it was the end of my career and uh, d- different phases through different uh, parts of NFL careers. I was blessed to play as long as I did. But at the end, you're pretty hardened. I, by, I played my eighth, ninth, and tenth seasons with Carolina. And you kind of see the game for what it is, and you kind of accept it, right? You're a mercenary. I was a hired gun. I played for five teams over ten years. And by the end, I kind of knew what, what the deal was. But I also, at the end, I got to enjoy – some of the sweetness, because guys like me and Jordan Gross, who's one of the all-time greats, and, and Ryan Khalil, we, and, uh, we, we knew that the end was near, and we kind of smelled the roses a little bit. So fond, fond memories of my time with the Carolina Panthers. Well, and this is one of the bigger reasons I wanted to have you on, Ben, because I, I know we were talking about this on our way to the airport. We were up there for the Army-Navy game. It was a great time. And then we started talking about the Panthers. You were there when Cam Newton was a rookie. That was your first year with the Panthers. That was Cam's first season in the NFL. And so you got to see this team go six wins with a rookie QB, take the next step. You get seven wins the next year. You go seven and nine. And then you get to see this team your last year with the Panthers is 2013. When that team finishes 12 and four, you actually get to the playoffs. And so you were there right at the start of the rebuild to really, I don't want to say the end of it, but that was the time that they actually hit the promised land. 
What was that sequence like? Like, how were you guys as a team able in those three years to make so much progress to the point where in a three-year span, you go from rebuilding to a team that had 12 wins and you're getting into the postseason? Yeah, there's some real magic there and and a couple different threads. One, watching Ron Rivera. It was his first year being a head coach, his first time being a head coach. And so watching him from year one to year three when I left and even since uh, I've gotten out of the game watching him mature, he had to figure out what am I going to be? Because I I learned this about coaching. I learned this from Albert Breer, writes for Sports Illustrated. He kind of gave a backhanded compliment. He said, I don't know how smart football players are, but they see through BS quicker than anybody else he knows. And I I always equate that to coaches, that the best coaches that I played for had complete understanding of who they are and how they led as a coach. And so the two extremes for me, I played for Tony Dungy, who's on one end of the coaching spectrum, and then Rex Ryan with the New York Jets. Both of those coaches were very, very different in their approach to coaching, Rex being a chest-thumping bar fighter and and Tony Dungy being more quiet and mild-mannered, but they both had success as coaches. Coach Rivera came in, and he had been a coordinator for all those years. He had to figure out, hey, am am I going to be a player coach, meaning hanging around the locker room, cutting it up with the fellas? Or am I going to be an authoritarian like Bill Belichick? And that first year, he kind of swung back and forth between the two. But he finally figured out, you know, he had to pick a lane. And he found that lane being becoming Riverboat Ron and being a little more approachable. But hard-nosed nonetheless. But the struggles of year one was one week Coach Rivera would say, uh, you know, hang around the locker room, cut it up with the fellas. And then the next week, he would be pounding the podium in the team meeting room saying, I'll cut every last one of you. Those things can't exist simultaneously. So watching him evolve and then watching Cam Newton evolve, who the first year in that locker room with Rob Chudzinski, Cam was acting out what he thought a first number one overall pick should be. Well-intentioned, but it wasn't him. He, he, you know, That was when he would hang the towel over his head when things went wrong and and he was trying to, uh, to, to, to portray what he thought he should be. And as by year three, I had, I, you know, Cam wasn't full foxtail Cam by the time I left. It was more <laughs> later down the road. But he figured out who he was and, and eventually became an MVP. And so watching those, those guys, those specific two evolve, were part of the keys to the evolution to get Carolina all the way ultimately to a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, the, the guys like having guys like like Luke Keekley is uh, you know you can't overstate guys like Greg Olson you can't overstate guys like Steve Smith, but the evolution of of teams and it's always there are so many examples of building a roster that it's it's more art than science that, that you don't know everybody knew about Cam's ability, but it was the between the ears it was his confidence it was his own his own. DNA that had to ultimately get evolved before Carolina become could, could get unlocked and get all the way to a Super Bowl game. I really like that. I think there's a parallel there. Bryce needing to figure out who he is. Can he go back to what he did with Alabama? Because there are people that have joined these airwaves to say, I don't recognize who Bryce is right now compared to the film that you watch with him at Alabama. And a lot of that is because of the team around him. And a lot of that is because of some of the Bryce problems that are coming about because of him. But I really like that. He's got to figure out who he is. You, you mentioned Ron Rivera. You mentioned that 2013 season. We brought that up. 
Ben, I, I want to go back to that game, the third game of the season, your last year in the league. You're going up against the New York Giants. The Panthers are 0-2 at that point. You had just lost to the Bills with EJ Manuel hitting, I believe it was Stevie Johnson in the corner to allow the Panthers to go to 0-2 at that point. You work with EJ now. We had a chance to talk with him a little bit. I know you, you talked with EJ at the Army-Navy game. I want to know about any conversations there. But what was that game like knowing, man, there's all this pressure on Ron Rivera? Our coach could be fired if we don't win this game against New York, but eventually you guys would win 38 to nothing. Yeah, I'm always one. I'm always amazed at uh, broadcasters' ability to remember specific games that I actually participated in and have absolutely zero recollection of. <laughs> so <laughs> that 0 and 2 start, I, I don't remember even a, a singular detail about that. And to be quite honest, I didn't know. To the Buffalo Bills, I'll bring that up. Oh, you should. <laughs> but I. I I, I will, and, and EJ is awesome. Uh, he is a guy that when he has a presence about him, the thing that I love about EJ is he is was a former first-round draft pick, yet he is as approachable of a young man as you've ever met. He is an awesome guy, but he it, it's, it's in direct contrast because EJ Manuel, Florida State, uh, first-round draft pick, he's the guy wears linen and, and high-fashion sunglasses better than anybody else I know. It's true. But Uh, we're getting a bad connection. Yeah, sorry, Ben. Hey, we're, we're we're getting a bad connection. We'll try you again here in just a minute or so, and maybe try to bring you back onto the line. But as Fiddy is working on that, I really do want to focus on that because it was on Mac and Bone, and I think it was Trevor Sikama who joined Mac and Bone earlier this year when Trevor said, "I'm watching film of Bryce Young, and he doesn't look like the same player that so many other teams had at number one overall." And that might have been true in the first four weeks of the season. That might have been true the first six where, okay, you can see him grow. You can see him progress. But then the Colts game happens. And that's the thing for me when it all starts going downhill is when you have that win against Houston, he looks more like Bryce than he ever had in the NFL to that point where he is playing off platform. It's the first game Thomas Brown is calling plays. And then you get to the Colts, a couple pick sixes. You get to the Chicago Bears. You have the play to Michael Strawn, and that's it. But then you see a lot of the regression. I think that's the reason why we're having some conversations about, okay, maybe Bryce needs to sit and allow Andy Dalton to come in here. We'll go back to the Body Works Plus guest hotline, trying to get Ben back onto the line. And, Ben, I did want to ask you this, too. You played with a lot of rookie QBs. It's actually amazing. Like you might know what yeah. it's like playing for a rookie QB better than anybody to ever do it. After playing with Peyton Manning in 04, you played with Vince Young, Matt Ryan, Mark Sanchez, and then Cam Newton in your 10 NFL yeah. 10 year NFL career. What kind of advice would you give to pass catchers or the offensive linemen, really anybody on a team that's trying to bring along a first round pick at quarterback in their rookie year? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. You, you've, point out that stat because it's, it's clearly a, a testament to my nurturing uh, nature that that team saw that I had a, a nurturing presence and brought me in for all those rookies. Uh, but but each one of those guys were incredibly talented because they were all first round, high first round draft picks. And, and I will point to, I was making this point when we got cut off about EJ, is, is his greatest, the reason why he's one of my all-time favorite guys, I would point to being maybe the why the reason he ultimately didn't have the NFL career he wanted. 
that that the greatest quarterback being able to play with Peyton Manning uh, was was awesome, and he's an amazing guy, approachable and great. He's the exception to the rule. But at the end of the day, the great quarterbacks are al- are alphas, and they know it. And their their ability to navigate that is a, a comfort to a football team. Sometimes it doesn't make it very easy to get along with guys. That's why you hear of all the the prima donna stereotypes that come with being a, a quarterback. And so there's a direct conflict with being down-to-earth and approachable often is to the detriment of being able to lead a group of football players uh, into an NFL championship. But a guy, the guy that I got to see up close that did it the best was Matt Ryan. When Matt Ryan, I mentioned Cam struggled initially, but he figured it out. Mark Sanchez never really ever found it. Uh, Vince Young was a little naughty. He didn't have the focus and it didn't pan out. But for Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan navigated the rookie experience of, I was brought here to be the face of this franchise and I will wear it. But at the same time, I recognize that I'm a rookie and I'm in the room with Lawyer Malloy and Brian Fennerin and, and Tyson Clabo, and, and I have to pay my dues and earn the respect of this locker room. And so during spring uh, minicamp and OTAs, Matt Ryan, he put the time in. He carried pads and he did the rookie things and he sang the song when we told him to. But he put the work in and quickly earned the respect of knowing the offense inside out, upside down, and executing the offense at a high level and ultimately demanding among veterans a decade or more in the league longer than out route. What do I desire uh, in a slant route and communicating that? And so from the, the OTAs in spring when we first met Matt to his first training camp, by the, by the time training camp re, we came around, we all said, that's our quarterback. And he would bark and call out veteran players when they weren't uh, doing the right thing. It was real magic that he had the, the confidence and self-assurance in himself to be able to call and know uh, what he was put there to do, but simultaneously recognizing, I am the rookie, I do have some dues to pay here, and navigating that each and every way. I, I don't know Bryce Young from Adam. He strikes me as a very likable, well-natured young man. I would encourage upon him to say, you're the alpha, and don't be afraid to grab someone's face mask if you feel like it's necessary to do so. Yeah, I think a lot of people would like to see that. I think that's a good point. Ben Hartsock, former NFL tight end, joining us here on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can also find his coverage on college football and Big Ten Radio, Sirius XM, talking plenty of college football. Ben, we appreciate the time. We'll have to get you back on and talk some college ball a little bit later on, but loved going back down Panthers memory lane and talking about all the rookie QBs that you played with. Absolutely. Always appreciate the opportunity to talk to an old uh, an old team and, and appreciate you guys in the rest of the season. All right. We appreciate, Ben. We're going to have to get to some more of those stories maybe a little bit later on into the regular season and certainly once we get to the off season, We'll put that interview up also on our website, WFNZ.com. All you have to do is just click the Wes and Walker tab. So how can Bryce Young find some success down the stretch? What does he have to do in order to be able to reach some of that success, gain some momentum going into next year? Let's get to it on the other side of the break. It's Wes and Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFN. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. 
all hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Listening to the Wes and Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Josh Fitty Marlowe filling in for Wes. Going to be joining us, I believe, at the end of the week. You can join us tonight. Me, Walker Mail, Colin Hoggard, and that very Josh Fitty Marlowe. Tonight at 7.30, we can all watch the Charlotte Hornets take on the Miami Heat together at the Carolina Ale House. The Waverly location, the address for that location is 7404 7404 Waverly Walk Avenue in Charlotte. That's the WFNZ Michelob Ultra Watch Party tonight at 7.30 at the Carolina Ale House Waverly location. Hope to see you there. I believe Flounder's going to be going over there, I think. Flounder, thumbs up, thumbs down. You going over there to hang out? Yeah, thumbs up from Flounder. He's going to be there, too. I think Shroppy is going to make his way down there, too. Seen some people write in on the Carolina Men's Clinic text line. I got a meet saying that he's going to buy me a tequila shot. I'm a little scared of all of that. Hopefully, uh, maybe you'll have to drive a few segments if I have too many tequila shots from a meet tonight. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I think I remember in the pre-show asking to to lead the 20s, and my the answer was... You're the bus. You're the bus driver, Fitty. That that did happen. That's a, sometimes you will lie. I mean, and sometimes you'll BS. A lot of times you'll BS. Fitty, <laughs> God bless you. You're not BSing on that. You did say, "Hey, do you want me to drive the 20s?" I said, "You can be the bus driver." <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it is. Uh, I want to go back to the text line too because I'm having fun reading these text messages of people getting demolished back in high school or college whenever they played a really good team on the other side. This conversation is transitioning a little into uh, having played against former pros. Also, that makes sense. Former pros probably did beat you down in a high school game. Timmy Two Fingers, he said, Natron Means at Central Cabarrus was a sight to behold. Sure, there was a bad loss to that team. 704, though, this is a bragging text. I played against Emmett Smith in high school. We held him under his average at 190 yards on 15 carries, LOL. Under his average, 190 on 15. Nice job. Nice job. That's pretty good. Andrew Norwell's agent said, I chased down Keenan Allen 80 yards in high school. He also got me back with a vicious clothesline. It feels like something Keenan Allen would do. It's a lot of passion from that wide receiver. I imagine he didn't take too kindly getting chased down from 80 yards. I mean, you probably also had like a, you know, pulled hammy. That's probably why you were able to chase him down and tackle him because that guy has always been injured. Keenan Allen has been injured a lot, but even still, it's impressive that he has like 9,000 yards. I think he's the fastest to ever get to 9,000. I think that's right. Keenan Allen, impressive, man. Keenan Allen, very impressive. Let's go back to the scenarios we've been going over that presented themselves this offseason to Carolina. We've been going over whether we would have done it knowing what we know now. If they had made the opposite decision, would Carolina be in a different place? And when we got to Derek Carr, I think you and I both said we'd rather be in the Bryce Young business than the Derek Carr business. But one thing we do have to consider that we overlooked, that's an oversight on our end, you would have DJ Moore 
you would have draft capital going forward, even if you did have a worse quarterback contract on the books, you still would have your first round picks. You wouldn't have Bryce Young, but you would have DJ Moore. Like, I think we should have considered that a lot more given the circumstances. And maybe that does change your opinion. I'll ask you, Fitty, would you rather be in the situation you're in now where maybe Bryce Young can figure it out as long as a new GM, a new front office can figure things out around Bryce? Would you rather be in that situation or would you rather have Derek Carr on that quarterback contract, but at least he's throwing to DJ Moore and you have your draft capital instead of giving it up to Chicago? I, I still think I want Bryce Young because I think, A, his upside is higher than Derek Carr's. And also, remember how emotional Derek Carr was when his time with the Raiders came to the end, came to an end? I mean, he was on the record saying that he was going to retire because he didn't want to play for another organization. And I don't want to say the guy's not invested, but, I mean, the guy, the guy didn't want to play anywhere else. Like, I, I think Derek Carr now is playing football because – He's good at it and gets paid a lot of money to do so. I don't know if there's an emotional investment that I think you need from your quarterback there in New Orleans. And, and I think kind of, you know, as, as Ben Hartsock was talking, I think Bryce is going to grow into that. I think the more he gets comfortable, the more he gets confident, the more he wins in the league. I think you're going to see that emotional side of him really. Work. I mean, we saw him after he beat the Texans. Hell yeah. Going in the locker room, like, cause he got that weight off his chest. So I, <laughs> I still think over the next 10 years, I want Bryce Young over Derek Carr. Well, and we knew what kind of situation you'd be getting into if you signed Derek Carr. Even people that really liked Carr knew that he wasn't a top five QB. I think there would probably be some arguments that he might have been a top 10. We might have had that same very argument on this show. But with Derek coming in, it wasn't going to erase all of these mistakes to the point where you were outright going to win this division. Yeah. I still think you're in a very similar place at six and seven. Probably not even six and seven, to be honest with you. Oh, see now, now, see now, that's an interesting question because if you're six and seven with Derek Carr, you have DJ Moore, you have your number nine draft pick. With the way the defense plays, you could argue that six and seven with the veteran quarterback would have been underwhelming. The offensive line is still the worst in the league. The offensive line isn't fixed. You have Chandler Savala. You still used to pick on Chandler playing left guard. Austin Corbett still isn't coming back, and when he does, he gets injured. Bradley Bozeman still not doing well in pass protection. Yes, Derek Carr, as a veteran, is better equipped to handle the pressure. Yeah. But also, it doesn't mean that he's handling it any better. Think about the weapons they have down there in New Orleans. Chris Olave is an awesome wide receiver. Yeah. And so, Chris Olave, DJ Moore, I would, I would take Chris Olave. You know how much I love DJ. I think he's an underrated receiver, maybe even now. But Alave, as far as what you want going forward, that guy could be, you know, what, top five at his peak? I think that's possible. And you're also going with an Alvin Kamara, who is a very good pass-catching running back. And he only missed three games after we thought maybe he'd miss six. So he's been there for a while. Good defense. They got a worse record than the New Orleans Saints, even with Derek Carr here in Carolina. I Just, right, if we had a clone of Derek Carr, right? One playing for New Orleans, one playing here in Carolina. Carolina has a worse record even still because the offensive line is so bad and the skill the skill guys aren't good. Okay. I don't think so anyway. Let's go on to the uh, last one. This is the last one that I thought was interesting because it could rear its head this upcoming offseason right after the regular season is over. The Panthers almost hired Kellen Moore. He made the list of the top three candidates. And here's a report 
from Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. On January 25th, when we finally got down to three of the top candidates, here's what Ian had to say about the top three. Yeah, Steve Wilkes had his second interview yesterday, according to me and colleague Tom Pelissero. That is obviously noteworthy, and he is not the only candidate to get a second interview. Frank Reich is having a second interview today. Should also note that Kellen Moore, the Cowboys' offensive coordinator, who had his first interview yesterday, was asked to stick around, talk to them again today to give some more info and kind of continue what is either his first slash second interview, however way you want to consider it. So it does seem to be these are the three that are still alive. And... So Kellen Moore eventually goes on to be offensive coordinator of the Chargers and was doing, I think, a nice job at first. They got a bunch of injuries they're dealing with. Mike Williams is out for the season. Talk about somebody that's often injured over there. Keenan Allen has been one of the more healthy guys. Austin Eckler missed some time. Even Josh Palmer, who's supposed to step up. He hits IR. I think he's coming back this, uh, I think, this week. And the offense has just gone straight down. Justin Herbert out for the year now after his fractured finger, which is unfortunate. You said it looks like Kellen Moore might be promoted within. And instead of Ben Johnson getting his choice of taking the Chargers job, that might just actually go to Kellen Moore. But knowing what we know now, knowing about the hiring of Frank Reich, it didn't feel like there were many people that liked the idea of Kellen Moore being the head coach here in Carolina. But would you have still rather made that decision than what happened with Frank? Because at least now you can move on, right? Like as much as we don't like the um, helter skelter way that David Tepper operates, where oh, it's okay, it's a, you know we'll just we'll hire a different coach now, we'll get rid of Matt Rule, we'll get rid of Frank Reich. You are cleaning the slate and going after a different head coach. Where if Kellen Moore had a mediocre season, you might hold on to him for too long. What say you on going back in time and changing the Kellen Moore decision? Do you think many people didn't want Kellen Moore simply because he was the Cowboys offensive coordinator? Like, do you think that part of it played a role? Knowing the way this fan base feels about the Dallas Cowboys for some ungodly reason, because they're not like they're not like their division rivals or anything. But I wonder how much of the, you know, this, the semantics played into it as a Cowboy fan that watched Kellen Moore's offense. um, Here's what I said then. And I'll say it now. He's a really good offensive play caller. And I think he is a really good offensive mind. But you have to have a lot around him because, yeah, he put together number one offense in Dallas when he had a top 10 offensive line, a top 10 to 12 quarterback, elite run game, and, you know, elite wide receiver play. Look what he's done in, in, in L.A. before Justin Herbert broke his finger. You got a top 10 quarterback. You've got a top 10 running back. You've got, a you know, one of the best wide receiving cores in the in the NFL when they're healthy. I think that's the concern. There's no doubt in my mind he can put together a game plan and he can call plays at the highest level. But you got to have a lot around him in all areas. And right now, this team doesn't have that. I like the car dichotomy on the text line. That's how you know you got a good topic because I'm getting blasted on both sides of the argument. Yeah, someone thought we were bored. Yeah, Darren, Darren, my guy, he said, are you guys bored or something? Derek Carr is absolute trash, straight garbage. Don't want him any shape or fashion. Dadgum. Felt the same way last year. And then somebody else wrote in that 10 years of Bryce, this is uh, new in Concord, 10 years of Bryce, oh God, I'm thinking jumping ship if I'm going to be convinced of that. Yeah, so both sides are saying, wait, of course you would take Derek Carr. The other side is saying, wait, of course we'd take Bryce Young. That's how you know it's a good topic. Yeah, with Kellen, remember the last play 
uh, I forget what game it was, but remember the last play call of last year? It was in January. I think it was in that playoff game, if I'm not mistaken. And it was from Kellen Moore. And so, yeah, it was it was when they were eliminated <laughs> against San Francisco. And so instead of throwing like a Hail Mary to possibly tie the game, Ezekiel Elliott was lined up under center. You know, we were having a really good week, I know, Walker. I know. And the toss... They toss it to go to Cavante Turpin. And I remember Steve Smith tweeted this out. Everybody was out on Kellen Moore. One play call did that guy in as far as the reception of the fan base would have been concerned with him being announced the head coach. It was that play call. It's also too, because guess what? Remember they did two years ago against the Niners in the playoffs with 14 seconds left to go. They called a quarterback draw. So you've seen him in big moments. They just can't play San Francisco in the postseason, and they'll be fine. Well, That's it. It's hard to play five on 11, man. What, what, what can I say? That's true. Or 11 on 16. I'm going to let you try to figure that out, and then you get back to me <laughs> whenever you think that. Heat fan said, tell that Bryce hater to jump ship then. Uh, and then he said with his clown ass, oh, yeah, we got to friendly fire, friendly fire on the text line. Uh, we're scrolling. We're scrolling a little bit more. Yeah, CJ said the Chargers have not scored a touchdown in like three games before last week. Kellen Moore is awful. It feels like the last quarter of the season just doesn't do Kellen Moore any justice. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels it, it does feel like a coordinator that the deeper you get into the season, the more that you put on tape, the more that your tendencies are revealed he gets exposed as a play caller, but like the guy's 30, like 35, 36 years old. Like he still is very young. So like if, if the Panthers would have hired him then, or if you hire him now, you have to understand there is going to be a learning curve with him. And maybe he's the guy that Dave Tepper goes, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We got to get you an all-star coaching staff to adjust to you being a head coach at this level. All right. So if you're just joining us and you didn't get to hear all of the past off-season decisions and we were trying to figure out, okay, would they have made the opposite decision based off what we know now? We'll go down that list here. Trading up to number two, Fiddy, you and I both would have done that. That would have been the right thing, right? We would have made that change in a decision instead of saying, hey, we have to have control of the draft. We need to go up all the way to number one. Instead, we'll keep DJ Moore or another asset, whatever it was, and we'll just settle for who's there at number two. We both would have done that, right? Yes. Okay. Signing Derek Carr. Despite still having DJ, despite still having some draft capital, we would not have signed Derek Carr. You and I both agree on that. Yeah, but I would have rather had my rookie quarterback. Signing Leonard Floyd, trading slash signing DeAndre Hopkins. If one kept you from doing another, I'd rather have DeAndre. But I think I probably would have done both of these things. I would have liked to go after both of them. Yeah, especially if you thought the roster was built up to a point to compete for a division title. And I know DeAndre Hopkins had that soundbite that he didn't want to play for a rookie QB. But now he's playing for a rookie QB with Will Levis. <laughs> and when your options are all dried up and you don't have the options that you thought you were going to, then of course you're going to have to settle for something you didn't want in the first place because nobody was wanting to trade for you. You got dropped. And DeAndre is not the same DeAndre that he used to be, but he still is a good wide receiver, if not top five, not top, top 10 anymore, but he's still a good wide receiver. So DeAndre would have been nice to have. And then we both agree, not hiring Kellen Moore. That's fine. Like I, 
I think he's a good offensive coordinator at times. I think he's kind of up and down, but I'm okay with not having him as the head coach. It does feel like like that name is like, I mean, I mean Bill Belichick's going to be the name that we hear the most. Jim Harbaugh, I think, will be the name we hear the second most, even though, you know, I think there was just last week they were reporting that a, a contract extension was maybe coming his way at Michigan to, to pay him over $11 million a year. So you don't really know where his future lies, maybe at the college or the NFL level. So if you're looking at, you know, some other guys that Carolina went after last year, of course, Ben Johnson's going to be that name. But I, I think Dave Tepper will go back to the well because this guy was a finalist a year ago. You imagine they'll go back, knock and ask him again. Hey, Keebler Elf, do you want the job or not? Oh, you bring up Keebler Elf. Elf 980 said Kellen Moore might be one of the ugliest humans alive. Goodness gracious, 980. I couldn't look at his wor- I couldn't look at his worse than Eli Manning stink face multiple times a week. All right, what if David Tepper called him in and said, "Look, man, the stink face, it's got to go. I'm sorry, I can't hire you. You were a finalist. You're a bright guy, but that stink face, it makes me want to throw up." I can't hire you. We got to go with Frank Reich. We got to go with Ben Johnson. We got to go with somebody else. There's only enough room for one stink face in Bank of America Stadium, and that belongs to David Tepper. You think he's got a good stink face? Well, I mean, every time they show him on the screen, does he look happy to be there? I no. mean, like, I mean, admittedly, like when they showed him last week at the Tampa game, I have never seen a billionaire look more miserable in my life than Dave Tepper. By the way, it's stank face. We got to go. Stink yeah. face doesn't sound like stank face is what really really captures the type of look that you have when you don't like something. Right. That's what it is. It's stank face. Last one. We've been rolling with this theme all show long. What's a time that you got destroyed playing a high school sport, playing a college sport? 828 number crib said Sam Powell Valley, Virginia beat council, Virginia 77 to nothing. Thomas Jones running back for the Chicago bears and UVA running back and little bro, Julius Jones. They uh, were the fullback. Uh, he was uh, running back for Dallas too. So they were on that squad. Yeah. 77 to nothing. That's a rough one. That's a rough one. We've gotten a lot of uh, rough text going down memory lane, talking about how bad you got beat down a couple of times in some of those sporting events. We haven't done this in a while, but because we don't have West and because the college football season is pretty much over, we got bowl season, but regular season is over. We're not doing West QB power rankings. How about Fitty's favorites? It's been a long time, a summer topic, but also a holiday topic. What are Fitty's favorite Christmas movies of all time? We talk about it coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Conversation took a little bit of a different turn than I expected. I thought we would talk about Christmas movies because that was what we were going to go with Fiddy's favorites. But somehow we just kept reading texts. They were mean to Kellen Moore. I don't think Kellen Moore 
is that odd looking. I don't think he's like crazy odd looking or ugly. I think that's all very mean, but I don't think he's that bad. It did get us talking though. I think I think Flounder, who's in the studio with us, I think you said, yeah, there's not too many good looking coordinators out there. And then I I refuted that. I was like, well, wait, hold on. I, f- I feel like we got some good looking defensive coordinators. My first thought immediately when I thought about it was Arthur Smith. And that just immediately said, are there really that many good looking coordinators? But you're right. There are some there are some good looking lads uh, out there. All right. So we went down the list of some of the best looking coordinators, mostly defensive coordinators. Yes. They're just like. They're just men out there coaching. That's what they are. You just look at Robert Sala, handsome fella. Oh, I mean, if if I have half the bald head he has, I'll be happy. It's a great bald head. Is it? I'm going to ask this question. Is it the best bald head in sports? Oh. I mean, at least right now. Now, Scott Van Pelt's up there, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the most handsome. It's the most recognizable. It's the one that you, the dude's logo is his bald head. Yeah. So you're you're it's a great point by you. I just don't know if it's the most handsome bald head out there. Eh. I think Robert Sala has the most handsome bald head in coaching. I'm sure there's some other athletes that we can go to. But we went with Robert Sala. I think D'Amico Ryans is on that list. Oh, D'Amico was pulling women. There's no doubt about that. D'Amico, good looking dude. Especially in Houston. Ron Rivera? Oh yeah, when, when he's a good looking fella, man. And you went, you went a couple of coaches here, even Steve Wilkes, like Steve Wilkes and Ron Rivera, defensive background coaches here in Carolina, even with the age factor rolling in, like a little bit of the Silver Fox thing going on with Steve Wilkes and then Ron Rivera when he was here in 2011, aging well, like both of our defensive coaches and how they looked over the years. He had he was just so I guess grizzled is a good word. Great, you know, defined jawline. And then, you know, the glasses. He just looked very stoic on the sideline. I will say you're getting more defensive coordinators, though. We found Sean McVay and Cliff Kingsbury on the offensive side. (laughs) I have to throw. I I have to. And maybe. Well, no, Wes doesn't like Kyle Shanahan. I mean, he he just doesn't he, he doesn't like calling any of these guys geniuses. I okay, think he likes well, Kyle Shanahan, but he wouldn't say that he's. I a I, I think Shanahan's got to be up there, right? That's just like I, I put it this way. In the middle, I I think if I looked like Kyle Shanahan, I could do some damage. Uh, text in the city. That's all I'm saying. No, I hear you. I hear you. Kyle Shanahan, not bad. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. a lot of people were. Really, really criticizing Kellen Moore for the way he looked. And I just wanted to say, hey, hold on. There are some coordinators out there what after about we thought about more. them not looking good. What about Pete Carroll? What do you think about Pete? I think Pete's Great a solid-looking looking fella. I don't know, dude. That, for that age? I mean, his jaw is three times bigger than the, the, the rest of his face. Pete, He's just a yapper, man. I, I think if... Blue Chew were to create a commercial for television, <laughs> Pete Carroll would be the perfect guy to cast for that spot. Where you My wife music. and I have a lot of sex. Pete Carroll Pete could right represent there. Blue Chew. And I we think get busy, be- and we stay busy. Could you imagine him saying that? Yeah, easily. Oh, he's got a piece of gum in his mouth? Easily. We get busy, and we stay busy. That was gross. Do you want to move on to the top Christmas musics? Uh, Christmas musics. Movies. You want to do that? Let's do it. Go ahead, hit it, Fitty. All right, this is a very different vibe. I didn't expect that. It sounds like the Shrek intro. Number five (laughs) on the top Christmas movies, according to Josh Fitty Marlowe. What you got for us, Fitty? Number five. All right, this is probably going to start the argument between you and I and the text line. I put Home Alone, number five, as my my favorite Christmas movies of all time. You told me when I put the list together in the fishbowl that it's too low. It's way too low. I mean, I, I guess I'm a little glad that it's on the list, 
but it's way too low. It should be much higher. Even on a top five list, it still should be much higher. And Flounder didn't have much confidence that this was going to be a good list put together by uh, I you. I feel like he's done this before and it's been horrible. So well, well, Home not Alone, a bad start. Uh, oh, see, we disagree. Home Alone needs to be higher. At least it's on the list, though. Let's move on. What you got for number four? Number four. And number four, um, I watch this movie every year. I watch the trilogy every year. The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Uh, maybe a lot of it is nostalgia because you grew up. I grew up every year. My family, we watched the Santa Claus. Um, I mean, they even now got like the, the little shorts on Disney Plus with Tim Allen back in them. But you said that this movie is, quote, and I quote, awful. Mm-hmm. The whole series. Santa Claus 1, 2, 3. How many of them are there? 11? Are there 11 I, Santa Clauses out there? I, I should have stopped the, at like, zero. Don't they have the TV specials now that they do? Yeah, it's so Disney bad. Plus? Yeah. Th- this, is, this is not a good movie franchise. Oh, it's the one that a lot thing. of people want to roll with during the holidays. And I apologize if it's tradition. This is what happens when you judge Christmas movies. You often hurt the tradition of some of the families out there. And I apologize for that. But I'm telling you, couldn't be me. The Santa Claus series... I don't know. Yeah, the TV specials, the movies that are going on to like 8, 9, 10, 11, whatever they are now. This is by far the worst Christmas series and set of movies that most people will have on their top five. I don't understand. It's okay to be wrong, Walker. <laughs> Number Home three. Alone should be ahead of it. I agree Home with Alone that should absolutely be sure, ahead of it. But I would put it on the list. Number three, I went with Elf. Great, great movie. One of my favorite Will Ferrell movies. Um, it, it's funny. Kid-appropriate. Um, this music is so odd, by the way. I just picked 12 hours of Christmas music instrumental, so it's just a loop of Christmas music. All right. Ugh. At least we're helping putting your kids to sleep with this uh, really much. Uh, on the, what is it? The, mob, the mobile that the kids sleep go. to? You got yeah. it. You got it. Thank you very much. Uh, Elf at number three is okay. Okay. I mean, this is this is my list. I think it's low. I think it might be low too. I, I, it's two for me. All right, number three coming in. Elf is uh, is the movie. All right, go ahead and show people what you got at number two, fitting. Number two. Number two. I watch this movie every Christmas Eve. It's what I go to sleep and wake up to on my Christmas morning watching a Christmas Carol. Oh, of and, course you do. And there's got a certain idol. version, 1984 George C. Scott version. It's the best version of all time. Um, I, I I love the Jim Carrey one. There was a Mickey Mouse version of A Christmas Carol that I, that they debuted one year on Christmas morning. Recorded what about Muppets? It. The Muppets yeah, Christmas look, Carol is the best it, version. I'm here for all the Christmas carols, but that George C. Scott version back in the 1980s, all-time favorite Christmas movie. You called this one. You said this is your George C. Scott is your idol. Is that what you said, Flo? Oh, no, I said Scrooge is his oh, idol. Oh. That's, why, that's why he <laughs> likes to watch that one all the time. Uh, I love that. Oh. <laughs> I got a hot take here. Okay. Not a huge Christmas Carol guy. It's all right. I'm a Muppets Christmas Carol like, guy. I just, if, I, if I'm if i leaving something out, I don't have to watch one of the Christmas Carol movies. Yeah, like, talking. Yeah. this is coming from a guy that watches the Polar Express. Polar one of the Express, worst animated movies of all time. One of the worst. Oh, my God. Just <laughs> go, go on go on with your crappy list. All right. What What is a top the Christmas movie all-time list for one Fitty Marlowe? Number one, it's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, uh, and I at least don't. Close it strong. I, I don't even know how like people argue with it. Like, I, I I asked my mom all the other day. I was like, Mom, when are we gonna watch uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? We ain't watching that crap. We watching anything? We're gonna watch the Santa Claus, mm. uh, uh, Rudolph thought, the Red Nosed Reindeer. Oh, yeah, I ain't watching that stupid movie. <laughs> 
I'm going to watch it because it's my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, dude, Maul's going through it, man. She's been talking about Scrooge. She's not in the Christmas spirit this year, but this movie gets you in the Christmas spirit. It runs in the family. What I would tell you is that a Christmas story is number one. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, oh. Christmas story is number one. That's I mean, this, this, this just confirms yeah. that you're a dookie because Seth Davis live tweets this movie every year at Christmas Eve at eight when they show the movie like three straight days, which is just overblown and overboard. But the fact that you what? like it, you're just a dookie. Well, oh. come on, man. They show the Christmas vacation. I mean, it is on every single night yeah, until well, Christmas. When when Ralphie finally gets his official Red Rider carbon action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in stock and a thing which tells time, it is the best moment in Christmas movie history. Did you get bullied in middle school? Second is Home Alone, and then it's God. like interchangeable between Home Alone and Elf at two and three, but those are the top three Christmas movies according to Walker Mail's favorite list. That'll do it for the weird music we're going to try to bring in in the club, try to get you going on the other side of the break. One more hour to go on Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7. WFNZ. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.